Welcome back, everyone, to the Tom Parrish Show. And up next is a conversation with Lord Jensen on a topic you're just now beginning to realize is critical. Why you want fast and very accurate display calibration. Yes, I know this is a topic that mystifies some folks and frankly probably bores others, but hang in there. Um, it's a struggle that's more than worthwhile to know more about. If you're creating video and graphics content, you think about how many different displays you see your content on. Within the small group you're working with, passing files back and forth, each one looks so dramatically different sometimes. I know this as a colorist because I'm faced with this with clients coming in, seeing what we're working on or what I'm working on for them, taking it back, going, it just doesn't look the same. Um, also, whoever I'm doing special effects with, he hands the files over to him, and he's not seeing the same things I'm seeing. It, it can be quite a mess, and more so now as groups are more and more distributed with one another. Anyway, during video post-production, the editor's display is often different, which is another uh, big change that tends to come up from mine. So what we're wanting is some sort of coherency, some consistency in the way all of our monitors work together. One of the most important aspects of color calibration is the display probe you're using. There are a lot of different ones. We're going to learn more about it today. So now I want to welcome my special guest, Lure Jensen. Lure, welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. And you're the CEO for Client Instruments, right? CEO, president, owner, and chief engineer. <laughs> yeah, but you've been doing this a while, haven't you? Long time, yeah. Give us a little history how you got started with Client Instruments. Well, I graduated in physics, so I love optics. Uh, worked at Tektronics. Rubbed elbows with engineers. Nice. Yeah, I had a friend who, a good friend who was a cook, and she used to say, if you start with really good ingredients, you end up with something that's really great. And uh, True, true. Yeah, being an engineer in charge of, of development is kind of dangerous because we're going to choose the absolute best components we can <laughs> to build our prototype. And then when we go into production, we're stuck with those. Luckily, the price of components doesn't hasn't gone up. But we've got a really great device with some of the best components available. How did you get into calibration of monitors? I mean, I mean, it's not something most people yeah. have a hankering for. Yeah, although I had a degree in physics, I started out at Tektronix calibrating uh, their DVST monitors and some of their early monitors. And when you get into a repetitive task, you, you fall in love with your equipment that works really well. And you have an emotional right. response, you have an emotional uh, attachment the best of your equipment. And uh, I dreamt of making something on my own. I have a fam family has a, a background of manufacturing. So when Tektronics needed this special device, uh, I made one in my garage and ended up selling it to Tektronics even while I was working there. So I named the company something other than my own name. And it, it evolved into light measurement eventually. And uh, so we've been doing that for the past mm, eight years or so. I see. All right. So you came up with this probe. In particular, was it a calorimeter back then? Is that well, Yeah. The first thing we started with was something to measure convergence on CRTs. Oh, okay. Some of your people will probably remember CRTs. But uh, as those faded, we had to get into something else. And I had the, the resources of contacts with uh, other Tektronic engineers, and we put this uh, this new product together. Um, it, was, it was fun going through the data sheets. We'd see things you'd want to a low leakage uh, op amp, and at the time, numbers like femto amps 
which were unheard of two or three years earlier, were available. And uh, <laughs> diodes with uh, leakage currents of picoamps. These numbers uh, were, weren't even discussed when I was in college. And it was pretty exciting putting this thing together with the, uh, uh, the best components that we could, could find. So for the non-electrical engineering uh, folks in the house, uh, Femto amps and those kinds of things are basically very, very, very low-level um, currents mm. that uh, basically were was part of what you needed in order to have a very sensitive probe. Is that essentially what you're talking exactly, about? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, but why a calorimeter, let's say, versus a spectroradiometer? Well, spectrometer has the, each each device has its own advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, that, let's talk about that. Sure, the uh, spectroradiometer will uh, divide up the, uh, uh, the the light into cells, each going to, each nanometer going to a different cell. Right, and um, then then they'll integrate over time. So you have issues because you've got reflections inside your device with uh, polarization uh -huh. issues. You've got uh, sensitivity issues because your light has to make its way through a very tiny slit in order to get focused onto the detector. Most of the detectors now used are CCDs, which have tremendous thermal problems. And the sensitivity is generally not as good as you can get with a, a big old fat diode. <laughs> now, the colorimeter, on the other hand, will divide the light, will, will filter the light into the the red, green, and blue components that the eye sees onto a, a large photodiode. So you can get a lot of light into each of the, the three channels. Uh -huh. So you can go lower. But the, 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 the shape of each of these uh, optical filters is meant to mimic the eye's CIE response, but it's really tough to get it exactly right. So you, you stack, the more filters you stack together, the, the more you can potentially match the CIE um, curves, but the more light you exclude. So it's a trade. There's so many trade-offs in engineering. So you do your best to get the, the best combination of filters you can to match the CIE curve, and it won't be perfect. With the um, spectroradiometer, you can get a very good match if it's uh, calibrated so far as the, the color information goes, but the, the sensitivity won't necessarily be there. Yeah, and then with the so spectroradiometer, you've got to periodically recalibrate it every few hours or something like that of use, don't if you? Th that's, yeah, the black level yeah. drift. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. and that's sort of like the, the good news and the bad news of that particular, even though the instrument is cheaper and it's really accurate, uh, you, you're trading off speed in some ways for that. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then, and, and, then, and then there's the spectroradiometer of, I don't know, I guess the manufacturer is less important than the name, but the ones that are in the, you know, ten to $20,000 range, they're super accurate, but they're slower. Right. Yeah, we use a Minolta CS2000 as our reference device. I think it's a $30,000 unit. It has wow. uh, cooling yeah, cooling apparatus, and uh, it uh, can take a minute and a half at a very low light level to take a reading. Um, so if you, were taking, if you were trying to fill up a light box with thousands of readings, uh, it, it's not practical. Well, yeah, and I think that's the essence of where I'm going in this uh, our conversation here and in this podcast is that with um, we'll we'll touch more about it on in here, but as we go through these different probes and more about client instruments, is uh, my point from a practical perspective is that speed is important. Why? Because 
with changes in software from some of the vendors, changes in the way that um, we tend to work together, moving files around from machine to machine, you can't really assume that everyone has a, a color calibrated, uh, dedicated reference monitor, and you know a Sony ELO, uh, a Sony or a, a, a Flanders Scientific or whoever it is you have. But everyone has a, an iMac or an iPad, or I'm not an iPad, but a PC or a laptop. And in most places, what you want to be able to do is to go in and calibrate to the best of your ability. You can't make a non-reference you know, non monitor reference, but you can get them all closer. And you need to be able to do that within a few hours. If you've got five, six different screens that you need to, to calibrate, you need something that's going to work quickly. And you don't have to set it aside and for two hours for it to reset its black level. That's where I think this Klein 10A is really great. And in fact, I understand the Klein 10A is, an, uh, is kind of a new version you've had this last year, right? It's like three times it faster. Is, yeah, it's three times uh, more low light sensitive. So that makes it three times the speed of low light. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about, um, even though we're sort of keeping this on the engineering level, I, you're, I would imagine your calorimeter gets used all over the world. It does, yeah. We started mostly with uh, contacts, companies that were connected with Tektronics, and we spread to Asia in manufacturing. We had made it. I'm personally pretty rough on equipment. I'm pretty careless. <laughs> and uh, Sorry. And uh, uh, I, I've always felt that... Uh, that equipment should be a lot tougher than the people that are using it. Right. So we built a thing to be very, very durable. So it's been popular in Asia in manufacturing where it's used seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And that's been appreciated by, by uh, U.S. calibrators who will need to take it into the field and have it re reliable regardless of, of how they treat it. That. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you sent me some pictures of the probe, and so I thought I've got one up in front of me. Maybe we can talk about it. We'll have it in the blog article here, too. It's the uh, device itself with the top popped off of it. It looks Actually, like it was, mm, it was cut on a metal. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh mm. the whole thing's solid then. So, starting yeah. on the, on the left hand it. side, so you want to or you want to work to the right and talk about what's inside that thing? Sure, there's the uh. The condensing, um, I don't know how you have it oriented, Tom, but the condensing lens. Yeah, the lens on the left, yeah. Sure. Yeah, we, um, you want your light coming in to be approximately parallel, so you're uh, taking it from a, a reasonable area of the screen. The old puck styles would take light from 180 degrees, and with L the advent of LCDs that have off-axis color shift, it would take that off-axis color and, and average it in with the readings, so you'd be getting false readings from what the user was seeing. So you need a, a lensed device that aligns the color, aligns the the, the rays coming in. Uh, then we have an aperture area mm -hmm. that, that's used for limiting the, uh, the angular input, and then a detector plate. The detector plate we use to, uh, to mix the light, goes into a light mixing chamber. And we have um, three large photodiodes with uh, each of them with a stack of mm. optical filters, a combination of glass, gel, and polyester, and uh, one dichroic. Uh, and then some the, our large photodiodes, which, which uh, are made by Japanese Hamamatsu. They're remarkably low leakage current. And we've airwire those onto uh, the legs of some uh, preamps, op amps, mm. that uh, have FET 
inputs, very low input leakage currents. And the, uh, the diodes are kept at a zero bias mode, which means that they're, they're not in any avalanche state. They're not in a, in a high efficiency state, but, but used in the zero bias mode, they're extremely thermally stable. And we've got some, yeah, very quiet. And then we've got some huge, like a gigohm feedback resistors ah. in, the, in, the, in, the, in the preamp stage. And we, uh, we have some uh, FET switches so we can switch ranges. So we get our uh, huge variation. We can go, you know, I'll, I'll give you a number. You probably won't believe how big it is. But this particular K10A device can measure up to 30,000 uh, foot Lamberts. There's no, there's no reason for it to. It's just... We were able to do it without much effort, so we threw that in there. And, uh, you know, we had our doubts as to whether or not, you know, uh, any leakage on the surface of that uh, resistor would cause problems, but we did extensive testing, and it and it holds, even under humid conditions. So we, we do seal it in uh, silicone now, just in case there is any, uh, any humidity issue. Well, okay, so we'll do just a little comparison here. The... Um you know, there's a difference in price, for instance, between this and mm, let's say mm-hmm. a, a competing device calorimeter might be six hundred to a thousand dollars or something like mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. Um, and this would be six times that. So, how does it compare, both in accuracy and I mean, what, what do you get for 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 that difference with regards to accuracy? Well, speed, I guess, is probably one of the issues we've talked about. It, but talk a little bit more about the differences. Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, uh, Describing the competition is something I, I really try sure. to stay away from. But mm-hmm, but um, we put a lot of care into making this a lab-quality instrument, into mm-hmm. uh, care into each one. And uh, mass-produced low-cost low units, if there's a manufacturing issue or problem, all I've got to say is we're on it right away. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that makes sense. That's, I mean, there's something to be said for quality, and quality comes with time, generally, just the way it is. Mm-hmm. So if someone owns one of these devices, do they need to send it back periodically? or? Is yeah, there- we do. We, yeah, we occasionally, we, we have uh, about a dozen custom calibration files in there for various monitors that we have down in our lab, and each one gets uh, calibrated to those compared to the CS2000 in our lab. So when one is sent back for service, we'll take it through our uh, entire um, array of oh, really? displays. Oh, really? Oh, really? And, oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we and if we add more to it, then it'll get those added to it as well. We're in the process right now of adding the Flanders, I believe, one of the Flanders displays. The new one, probably. So, in, yeah, in addition to uh, to to cleaning and recalibrating it, the the new cal files get added, and uh, it's industry standard to have them sent back once uh-huh. a year or so. They don't change much. Dog on it. Yeah, we haven't seen much uh, of a change when they come back. Well, that's good. Well, so um, let's talk about displays then. You've been around the display market a long time. Uh, so you've been, we, it's not so much the CRT that we need to talk about because we're folks just aren't using those anymore, but I'd be really curious to hear your perspective of um, where the display market is going. Uh, what do you think about OLED in particular and things of that nature? Things are yeah. exploding. Yeah. I mean, you used to, you know, you used to have to wait a decade before uh, there was any major change and now we seem to be seeing something major every Every year, the Sony OLED has got terrific blacks. 
it's got some of its light. Well, well, first of all, we're 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 going to be seeing wider and wider gamut displays. They're going oh. more and more ectochrome. Oh, really? So, yeah. So to so to come down to any standard that film has been shot to, they have to dumb down the display by throwing a little red or green in with the blue, no kidding. And vice versa. Yeah, yeah. They dumb it. They I call it dumbing it down to make it as the director intended. Fascinating. Uh, they have to yeah pull away from the uh, the high gamut, but they're capable of real high gamut. Now to get high gamut, lasers are as far as you can get. When you have a single wavelength mm. coming at you, it's it's as brilliant as 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 saturated sure. a color as you can get. Anytime you start mixing colors, it makes it less saturated. So to get high saturation, they have to have very spiky light that's that's narrow in bandwidth. Mm -hmm. And now when that happens, you start seeing variations in uh, from person to person or age that causes, apparently, it's been talked about a lot recently, a little bit of color shift. So we may see, be seeing some displays backing off from real, real high gamut, or, or we may see some real interesting mm -hmm. effects. You know, Kodachrome, you, 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 the Paul Simon song, you, you, you remember that one. Oh, yes. Love the Kodachrome look. Yeah, well, th th those, those were capable, I guess, of higher, uh. Uh, more saturated colors than uh, traditional films. And, uh, and it's popular with the, the consumers like it. So I imagine uh, consumer displays especially will be getting higher and higher uh, in saturation. And there'll be a debate about whether or not that's exactly what the, the, uh, the director intends. But people will probably want it. Oh, that, what you're, that's kind of what you're sort of predicting is a potentially anyway um – if some manufacturer, not so much a display manufacturer, but a product manufacturer, wants to have a little bit of a breakaway approach on uh, what they do is to offer displays that have wider gamut, might cause quite a stir of people saying, well, that's not the real thing, but it's very, it could be, you're saying sort of the Kodachrome effect. It's you, so attractive looking. Yeah, and you can always dumb it down a little bit. And uh, I've seen a couple of... Um, displays, high-end high displays, consumer displays that have multiple modes. So the, the you can switch between cinema or game mode, and each, each of the different modes will have different brightness levels, day and night, uh, and also gamma levels, and gamma as well. So it'll be, you can make it look posterized, or you can make it look bland, <laughs> each of the different modes. So... So what else on displays? What else do you see happening? Yeah, well, you know, well, they're talking about 4K, 4K, 4K. It was 3D for a while. And um, I've seen some 4Ks that look amazing, at least with the demo films that they show you. It's, um, do, do, you, do you have a home theater? Oh, yes, it's, uh, I do. I have a 92-inch screen with an Epson. And, uh. Okay. And I, you know, once you start looking at a, at a classic film on home theater, you can see stuff that you never saw before on your standard size television. Right. A movie is worth watching multiple times to catch stuff that you've never seen before. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a wonderful hobby. Here, you know, I, something I, I'm predicting. What's that? I'm predicting fireplaces to be made smaller to be, to, so you can have room to put in your larger display in your main living area. <laughs> you may very well be right. You I, know, you know, and, in my home, we're going to have to tear out our fireplace. There's just 
you know, next time we go up in size, it's coming out. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at mine. It's a, I think I use it in the color grading suite here. It's sort of, it's a very large mm -hmm. room. And on the back end mm -hmm. is where I have all my gear. And on the front is the projector and the screen. And, and it's 92, but I've been thinking, I could probably get 105 in there. <laughs> and I just haven't done you know, it. I'm remember. I, I I'm, I'm reminded. Of, you remember Mad Magazine? Oh, absolutely. And in the corners, they were always sketching little funny things. Yes. You know, I'm seeing stuff like that in movies now. When I yeah. When I look, because I'm my eye has going away from the main characters because I've seen it before, <laughs> and I'm starting to study the extras and the sometimes the humor thrown into the corners. It's just getting getting to larger, higher higher resolution displays is is changing our changing the way we look at things. Yeah, you know, it's funny you should bring that up because one of the points that I've uh, been thinking about is uh, this whole debate with 4K. Now, what I call where we're at right now is the naysayer stage. Um, having been through this in the '90s with the internet and you know, every in fact, I worked at Motorola. We were talking about phones earlier. Um, I worked at Motorola for years, all through the 90s, semiconductor. And every time something new came out, like the iPhone, for instance, people in Motorola were just rolling in the floor thinking it's the stupidest thing they ever heard. <laughs> because a phone company, because a computer company, Apple of all places, is going to be a phone company. It's not going to happen. There's just no way. Oh, we go through that over and over and over again. And, uh, and here we are with 4K, and there's just a tidal wave of naysayers. It's too expensive. We won't do it. There's no value in it. And I'm thinking, I don't know. There's something about wider gamuts and greater resolution and greater detail, especially on bigger screens is the point that you're making, mm -hmm. where you get really pulled in in a very different way. You know, If you're watching on a 55-inch screen, maybe not. I don't know. But when you start getting up to 100 and 120 inches, it – changes your experience yeah you see the pores on their face you do and you you, you feel your you feel you're touching <laughs> the person it's amazing well okay so um let's let's move on then this is really fascinating um back to colorimetry yeah back um, to colorimetry the, so with regards to your probe does your package do you have something software or, or do people normally buy your probe with you know some other piece of software for we, yeah we uh, we uh, uh have a giveaway piece of software that does logging xyy reporting it has yeah. uh sliders and scales and um you can use it for white balance or to quickly check your mm -hmm. gamma or gamut but to uh, to do calibration there's some software companies that keep up with technology that changes so rapidly mm -hmm. that uh that that's what their specialty is you're probably familiar with some of those well spectrical and uh and mm -hmm. um, uh, seattle and then light illusion and is that a european company it is. It's, right. And there are others that right. are, uh, we're familiar with. And each of the manufacturers will usually have a piece of software for calibrating their own particular display. And uh, we provide uh, software support for, for them, uh, software development kits, so they can interface, include the K10 as one of their um, calibration devices. I think we started with TV Logic and Sony and have pretty much cover them all They're each every week it seems another manufacturer will call us and ask us about our <laughs> development package well okay so last question what's in the future from client instruments you know uh if you talk about anything you've got in development it might slow down uh sales fair enough what you've got but you know yeah you're you're always trying to make something uh something better 
we don't have anything coming out right in the away. near term. Yeah, in the near term. But you know, with with the wider yeah, with, wider gamut right. displays, you've you've got to get more and more color accurate. So that would be our next uh, our next development effort. Speed and and color accuracy. Yeah, speed and color accuracy is what I'm thinking. You know, I mean, it's. Again, it's because we're going to have uh, more demanding calibration requirements, as you're saying, and a calibration environments is what I'm saying with regards to uh, small to medium-sized studios that uh, where the people that are there are the people that come and go during the week, who are subcontractors working on uh, files. You want to get everybody's display as close as possible, given whatever display technology they have. And you don't want to spend three days doing that on a half a dozen devices. You like to get it all done in one afternoon. Mm. And you know, one of the most dangerous things is somebody's come in and messed with the controls. <laughs> you know, you don't have you've gone into suites and you've seen tape yes. over buttons yeah. that said "Don't touch." What if somebody does? You need. I mean, if you're if you're working on a, a, a yeah. project, a multi million dollar project, um, you either got to have an armed guard. Or else, quick check. Some yes. way to just do a quick check, quick check, yeah, and just check two or three points to make sure that it hasn't been shifted much. Right, right, yeah. There's just nothing more um, disheartening oh. to a colorist is to, after a week's worth of work, to realize, oh man, something had shifted on the monitor. You know, you're you're thinking something wasn't right. You know, you get to the end of the week, you're just plowing through this. Five or six hundred clips or a thousand clips, you know, and you're like, oh man, now where, where did it, do I have to do the whole thing over or was it partly bad to begin with? Yeah, you're right. We have uh, uh, actually a, a, a famous Polish director who swears by our K10, carries it with him wherever he goes, pulls it out periodically. No kidding. Yeah, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Laura, any other um, interesting stories, uh, fascinating stories, funny stories about the Klein 10A? Oh, God, no. <laughs> You'd be surprised how boring my life is. Well, I mean, you know. The, you know, this, uh, the, the, the wonderful thing about uh, uh, this industry is the people you make connections yeah. with. I mean, we're talking creative right. people who are, um, who are intelligent, yeah. intellectual people. Uh, uh, yeah. So that makes it a lot of fun. When you, when you go out to visit your customers – and uh, you just run into the most wonderful people. What else, it's also really cool just to uh, to go onto a movie mm -hmm. set, you know, and you you see things that uh, that other people are, you know, actors, sets, scenes right. that uh, I don't know. You just you feel connected. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, but the other thing I would imagine you get to do is uh, work with um, all the major display companies around the world. Right. And, uh, you know, this is when we started, it's hard to find the right people to talk to, to get to through to the engineers. Oh, my God. Yes. And yeah. And then eventually when your business gets rolling, they start calling you. <laughs> and, and you're like, been trying to get a hold of you. Yeah. No. And, and it's like, well, you should have called me. You shouldn't talk to the marketing guys up front. <laughs> well, how did I know how to get a hold of exactly. you? Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 I can imagine. Well, Laura, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Um, this has really been very interesting, and I appreciate your willingness to go into real depth about uh, your calorimeter and uh, your history and things of that nature. So thank you. Well, thank you, Tom. Mm -hmm.